We ask the Swiss National Bank, could central bank digital currencies revolutionise capital markets? Hi, I'm Justin Pugsley, editor of Global Risk Regulator, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast series on financial regulation. For more about GRR, please visit www.globalriskregulator.com. In the world of central banking, central bank digital currencies or CBDCs have emerged as a key area of focus with most of them conducting some form of research into this area. In an era of intense digitization, this interest in CBDCs is hardly a surprise, particularly with entire swathes of financial services moving towards ever greater levels of electronification and with the proliferation of private cryptocurrencies. However, Introducing CBDCs into the economy and the financial system is no simple matter. Though CBDCs potentially promise great efficiencies, they are not without risks, meaning that if they are introduced, it will have to be done very carefully. As such, we thought it a good idea to approach one of the pioneering central banks in this area, in particular, the Swiss National Bank, which, along with its collaborators, the Bank for International Settlements and the Six Exchange, has made some interesting advances into researching CBDCs via its project Helvetia. This podcast looks at what Project Vetia is all about, the different types of CBDCs and their risks, their potential impact on capital markets, on areas such as clearing and foreign exchange, or some of the governance issues that might arise and how they might be addressed. To dig a bit deeper into these topics, I'm delighted to welcome Martin Schlegel, an alternate member of the board at the Swiss National Bank. Hi, so, hi, Martin. Can you discuss the Swiss National Bank's work on CBDCs and Project Helvetia? What you are looking to achieve and also some key dates in terms of delivering on your projects? Yes, of course. Thank you, Justin. So, regarding our work on CBDC, all forms of currencies are per se very much interesting for, for central banks. And uh, for us as central banks, the concept of, of money is, of course, our passion and something that we always have thought of a lot. So yeah. in the last decades, before cryptocurrencies came along, this topic was admittedly a bit theoretical and not very much on work. Uh, but as central bankers, we always worked on, on, on such topics. Yeah. Okay. Now... Um, I mean, looking at some of the papers you put out and press conferences and, and again, our our previous discussions, it's very obvious that your work has been on wholesale CBDCs. Can you explain why that is and also why you're not experimenting with retail CBDCs and describe some of the challenges for the banking system in introducing this type of digital currency? Um, so wholesale CBDC is conceptually much, much easier and, and a much smaller step for a central bank than, than retail CBDC, uh, mainly because difficult policy questions are, are less pronounced with, with wholesale CBDC. Uh, these are, among others, financial stability questions, AML, K, uh, KYC, um, yeah. and so on. And the further the DLT technology 
seems to be more interesting on the wholesale side at the moment than on the on the retail side. And but platforms based on DLT could fundamentally change today's financial market infrastructure. Okay. And this would also affect the mandates of central banks. So why is that? Uh, one of the statutory tasks of the central bank is to maintain the stability of the financial system. Yeah. And this is, includes financial market infrastructures. Right. Okay. Now, um, now, you've clearly done an enormous amount of work in this area. Um, and I saw in, in your uh, Swiss National Press, uh, I saw a news story the other day. Uh, that the Swiss National Bank has registered around a dozen trademarks with the Swiss Federal Patent Office. Um, is this is this a sign that you are seriously considering going ahead with a Swiss wholesale CBDC? So there, uh, to be clear, there are neither plans to introduce a wholesale CBDC uh, nor a retail CBDC in Switzerland. Yeah, uh, we had these names entered in the Swiss trademark register. Uh, purely as a preventative measure, uh, not, okay. not, nothing else, nothing more. Okay, so it's to basically stop someone else maybe going running off and doing the idea themselves. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. Okay, fine. Okay, now before we dig uh, a bit deeper in, into these topics, um, now, you know, digital money in a sense already exists in the form of bank account deposits and electronic payments. So what is the difference between electronic money, which we all currently use, um, and CBDCs? So today, households and companies widely use digital money in the form of uh, customer deposits at commercial banks, so-called yep. book money. Uh, and this book money is typically denominated in the domestic currency. In our case, this is, uh, this is Swiss francs. Yep. Uh, but it's uh, neither a central bank money or central bank liability, nor a legal tender. So, and book money represents a payment commitment on the part of the bank where you hold the account. And it's also a contractual obligation to pay out the balance on a customer's account in francs, in banknotes and coins at the, at the request of the, of, of the customer. So, Compared to central bank money, this book money is uh, subject to a default risk. Uh, okay. A commercial bank can get into financial difficulties and uh, in extreme cases can even become insolvent. However, so with our deposit insurance and banking regulation, this risk can be reduced uh, to a very, very large uh, extent. Right. So, a CBDC would be a supplement to the existing types of central bank money and would not replace, for example, bank notes or, or the side deposits that banks hold, hold it off. Uh, it would also sit on the liability side of the central bank, uh, okay. right next to bank notes and, and, uh, and the side deposits of commercial banks and financial institutions uh, that, that the financial institutions held, uh, hold at the, at the central bank. Uh, the, the latter already being a CBDC, but in account form, not a token form. Right, right. Okay. Well, well, thank you. That that that's a that, that's a very useful explanation, actually. Um, okay, Martin. I, I would very much now like to get your views on what a whole, wholesale CBDC could do for wholesale financial markets. Can you describe some of the potential benefits and changes it could bring? 
so the existing market infrastructure is operating on the basis of uh, conventional technologies in a centralized yeah. structure. And generally, they do so already at low cost uh, while fulfilling very high security requirements. And uh, in my view, it has yet to be demonstrated that the DLT-based system can meet these requirements or even outperform the existing infrastructures. But this, okay. is a, this is a very open question. Yeah. And if these efficiency gains are confirmed on the security side, the, the next question is, how would the cash lag be settled in the, in the purchase of a tokenized security? Yeah. And this is where our project Helvetia and its two POCs with this wholesale CBDC and the RGGS link uh, can come into play. Yeah. So, and one of the project Helvetia's key finding was that we have at least two options to integrate the central bank money into a DLT-based uh, financial market infrastructure. The one is issuing a tokenized CBDC on the DLT or linking the DLT system to existing uh, RTGS uh, systems. So, and a comparison of the two approaches uh, reveals the comparison reveals two two trade-offs. Okay. From the point of view of the central bank, establishing a link to the existing RTGS payment system would not entail structural changes as a central bank money would, would remain within the existing payment infrastructure. But the consequence of issuing a wholesale CBDC, however, would be far, far more reaching because a wholesale CBDC would be a new form of central bank money. And this could have implications for monetary policy, financial stability, and payments, and payments uh, because, for example, for a, because, uh, for example, of a segmentation liquidity interest several payment um, systems. Yeah. However, if the challenges that I just mentioned, they can potentially be offset uh, by the significant advantage that using a tokenized form of central bank money would allow the potential of DLT to be more fully realized. For instance, a wholesale CBDC would support simultaneous and instantaneous settlement, this so-called yeah. uh, atomic settlement, and it would also be possible to make central bank money programmable and to deploy it in self-executing yep. contracts like these smart contracts. Yeah, no, well, we, well, we certainly can dig into some of those topics a little bit deeper now. Um, I mean, you know, you mentioned um, sort of tokenization. Um, now, I know from speaking with, with, with bankers and so on, there's a lot of excitement in the financial community over the tokenization of, say, securities and the use of stable coins to enable faster and more efficient transactions. Um, can you maybe give some ideas? I mean, you mentioned, you know, programmable aspects. So can you maybe give some ideas on what type of new financial products and innovations uh, could emerge from, from this development? Um. I think it's 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 too early to say. Okay. Uh, if DLT really can can uh, deliver this uh, this this improvement over existing technologies, uh, central banks certainly have to understand that their potential uh, and their potential impact on the financial system. And there, I think three changes are, are worth highlighting uh, because this could affect how central banks fulfill their mandate in the area of payments and financial stability. 
Okay. And, and these three, these three, these three changes are the first is automation, the second is speed, and the third is decentralization. So first, an automation, uh, securities and, and cash could take the form of tokenized assets. Supporting this programmable business logic or so-called smart assets. Yeah. And this could really improve existing post-trading processes via automation or enable completely new services. Uh, second, then the, the trading and settlement of tokenized assets on a DLT-based infrastructure would enable atomic and instantaneous settlement. This could also be, be beneficial. Uh, and third, like the underlying DLT technology may enable the market infrastructure to become more decentralized uh, and allowing transactions to become peer-to-peer and yeah. potentially adding also to the robustness of today's infrastructure. Okay, well, that that that's certainly those are certainly very interesting points. Um, now, I mean, you, you talked about RTGS and 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 those sort of you know uh, payment systems, legacy payment systems that that are being used. So, you know, do do you see one day um, distributed ledger technologies or DLTs? Do you think they will be able to stack up against these existing payment systems? And will they ever, in your view, be able to replace them? So, is it? Does it basically come down to cheaper, more brute computing power to enable them to surpass these very well-established existing systems? So I think in the end, it will probably be a coexistence. Okay. Um, because the existing financial market infrastructure is, is operating on the basis of conventional technologies and a centralized organizational structure. and. The, the cost is already quite quite low, and um, for most for most of these uh, infrastructures, and and they are fulfilling very high security requirements. So it has yet to be demonstrated that this uh, DLT-based systems uh, can meet these requirements or even outperform the existing infrastructure. And this is really not not clear at the moment. So I think ultimately we see various technologies coexisting or blending. Okay. Uh, What's then very important is, of course, interoperability between the systems and technologies. And this is really, really key that, that we have uh, still an efficient uh, financial system. So we, have, so we need to have this, this uh, interoperability. Yeah, yeah. But okay. this interoperability is also not very easy because it gives rise to various new issues. Yeah. Like, for example, applicable law alignment of participant structure and also operating hours. Uh, what's really crucial for the central banks is that, uh, that the security and reliability of the FMIs, uh, that they must be maintained. Yeah, right. Okay, um, now let, let's look at some, I mean, you, you've kind of possibly hinted at, at, at this in, in, in earlier questions, but let's look deeper at some of the impacts wholesale CBDCs could have on areas, various aspects of the financial system. One area of considerable debate is whether instantaneous transactions could replace clearinghouses. Now, do you think that could happen in time? Will there always be a role for clearinghouses as a type of insurance policy to the financial system? Okay, uh, I cannot make and do not want to make a forecast in this regard. Okay. But again, if DLT and tokenization can deliver the improvements over the existing technologies, and if it becomes widely used, it could change the way that today's financial market infrastructure operates. 
and, and central banks must understand this potential impact of, of such change and, and be prepared. And yeah. the, the project that we have, this project Helvetia, has addressed one aspect of this potential changes to the financial system, uh, wholesale CBDC, uh, which enables tokenized assets to be settled in secure central bank money. Uh, and this could be the central bank's answer to these technological changes, actually. But in the future, it is conceivable that traditional SMIs and DLT-based SMIs could coexist, and, and clearing okay. will, in this case, continue to be important. Yeah, no, okay, that's an interesting answer. Thanks, Martin. Okay, uh, another area that has generated a lot of discussion is around foreign exchange transactions and potentially making them cheaper and faster. Can you explain why that is and how it would work, how those benefits would be de uh, delivered to the foreign exchange markets? There is a, a lot of international work uh, done on this. Indeed. So the G20 has, has made enhancing uh, cross-border payments uh, a priority, actually. Yeah. Uh, and today, these cross-border payments are more complex than purely domestic ones. They involve more, and in some cases, numerous players, time zones, jurisdictions, and also regulation. And as a result, they are often slow, opaque, and also expensive. Yeah. So also no. at, at the BIS, the CPMI, the Committee on Payments and Market Infrastructures, identifies CBDC as an area of interest for making cross-border payments using central bank money uh, more more efficient. Um, yeah. And actually, as part of the next phase of Project Alfetia, we want to investigate this in the, in the context of a wholesale CBDC. But at the moment, it's it's. Too early to tell because we are still uh, we are still um, experimenting on this. Sure. But personally, I think that especially the regulation and legal issues that slow down cross-border transactions and make them more expensive, um, they are at least as important as the technological questions. Right. So it will be difficult to make these transactions much faster and, and cheaper, more efficient uh, without without changes in, in this regard. Yeah. Well, it looks like something may happen there with so many uh, people or so many central banks uh, thinking about that topic. Um, okay. Um, now, given that CBDCs represent already represent a high level of digitization, do you believe that this could lead to much faster and easier reporting of transactions and financial activities by financial firms, potentially make it easier for supervisors to oversee the financial system, maybe even in real time one day? Yeah, by answering this question, we have to distinguish between wholesale CBDC and retail CBDC. So in the wholesale CBDC, sorry, yes? Yes, sorry, I was, I was going to say, I'm looking more from the, from the point of view of, you know, but, uh, um, activity between financial firms, uh, brokerages, banks, uh, transacting securities, settling them and, and all that sort of, all that sort of thing. And they have to okay. then report, report their transactions to the regulator. Mm. So in the wholesale CBDC context, I could say that uh, today already most financial assets are, are already digital. Yes. So the digitization of trading, clearing and settlement has enabled automation to a significant degree and made it much faster. Yet the traditional architecture persists. Uh, 
DLT could potentially uh, change this because one of DLT's characteristics is exactly that it has the ability to make verified information available uh, to a large number of, of parties simultaneously. Yes, indeed. And it is therefore appealing in the case of complex processes where coordination is required across a whole range of, of, uh, of participants. And this is exactly the case in the securities business, yep. which involves a network of many different participants like trading, settling, and, and managing uh, securities. Yeah. Uh, and this coordination re requires considerable effort, which in turn leads to, to, to higher operating costs. And DLT could potentially help, help in this regard. Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. So, okay, that's it's an interesting area to watch then. Okay, and, and, and really just to finish up, um, I mean, various members of the Swiss National Bank have publicly said that there are some potential government's issues relating to CBDCs. Can you describe what those are and how they might be addressed? Of course, uh, issuing a wholesale CBDC uh, would, yeah. would also raise uh, new policy and government questions for, for, for a central bank. Okay. Uh, as you know, today, most central banks operate the backbone of a country's payment system. This is the, the real-time gross settlement system, or RTGS. Yeah. And, and electronic central bank money is used to settle transactions in these, uh, in these RTGS. And then, this RTGS is in, is in turn interoperable with other parts of the financial market infrastructure. Uh, such as central securities depositories, uh, for example, to settle securities transactions. So if a central bank issues a wholesale CBC onto an infrastructure that yeah. handles both the securities leg and the cash leg, this raises the question of the central bank's role on such platforms. For example, what are the duties and tasks of a central bank with respect to this type of platform compared to the role of a central bank in the RTGS? For example, can the central bank delegate certain duties and tasks to the operator of the infrastructure? Okay. What processes and core elements must be controlled by the central bank? Does, for example, does the central bank have to, to, the right to see all transactions? Um, and so on. So there are numerous questions that have, that have to be, be addressed. But to some of these questions, you are seeking answers in the, question, uh, in the phase two of the project of ATR. Oh, okay. Can can you maybe um, just give some tie lines um, wh when the second part happens? You know, wh when you're going to start doing it and reporting some of the results, just just uh, for the benefit of listeners. Um, the second phase already started now, okay. but I think there's no there's no date announced of of, of new of new results, to my Fair knowledge. Fair enough. And to conclude. I'd like to thank Martin for taking part in Global Risk Regulators Regulatory Podcast Series. And if you'd like to listen to more financial regulatory podcasts, please visit www.globalriskregulator.com. And you can also subscribe to our podcast via ACAST, Spotify and Apple iTunes. And finally, I hope you stay safe and well. Thank you. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. 
In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.